horny for Corbin. 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 Alexa, who are the hard left? Hard left is a term used, often pejoratively, to refer to political movements and ideas outside the mainstream centre-left. Thank you, Alexa. Left, 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 left
Hi everyone, you're listening to the latest edition of the Real Politic Podcast with me, Jack Frayne Reed, with my friend Tom Foster. Hello. Pleasure to be here as always. And joining us as a really, really last minute replacement for Laura, <laughs> as in she tweeted at me, I DM'd her, she was on the show like a minute later. Uh we've got our friend Asia Mar four. So welcome to the show, Asia. Is is there any any way you would like to uh tell our listeners who you are and and what you what you do and what you're all about and so on um i mean i yeah i we we could we, we can kind of keep it an air of mystery about it but basically <laughs> um i i am a journalist i'm also a writer um i write about things like feminism and diversity and so that's why i pro- consider myself i guess a friend of the show um and yeah no i'm i'm just very interested in talking shit so uh that's me <laughs> and and then indeed that is us as well talking shit <laughs> it's a whole brand just chatting shit <laughs> bring it but you know but it pulls the people back in so it's it's not too bad so our talking points today then what are we, what are we going to be discussing on this episode well um i'm Hmm. <laughs> the state of the media but particularly the, yeah the state of the media so I guess there's there's a few stories going about at the moment that are um, that are interesting that are possibly quite disturbing and I I think one that um, Aisha said that she might have something to contribute on is this furore that's uh, been whipped up by the incompetence and the carelessness of our foreign secretary. Boris Johnson. And tomorrow we come back and we cut off your Johnson. Excuse me? I said we cut off your Johnson! Who has basically endangered the life of a uh, British citizen who is currently in an Iranian prison cell. So what, what, did, you, what did you make of this whole, um, this whole story of Asia? Um, I, f- I feel like my thoughts on this are basically uh, everyone else's. You know, it's, it's like very much that kind of Daily Mirror front page of, you know, sack boris and all of that um so i don't think i have any particularly creative thoughts about this but um to me what's really interesting is just that it's just a ridiculous series of of gaffes from boris and he just does not take any kind of responsibility for them like when when will he ever be made to kind of answer for what he says or does i don't think he's ever taken any responsibility for anything he's done in his political career he's made a sort of career i'm just being able to dodge all criticism and all fuck-ups he made it's not something to really be proud of though it's just quite wow this this man is still has a career in politics really yeah i mean he's a fucking chancer isn't he he just kind of coasts along and uh you, you saw what happened after he led a very, very successful leave campaign. And then mm. it quickly became apparent that he uh, he didn't know what the fuck to do after he won. He didn't have some grand vision for Britain post-Brexit. Speaking to his aide, just being like, what should, you know, what should, I, should I pitch for? And they're just <laughs> like, oh, go for leave. You know, it's, it'll be good for your career. You can, you know, ascend to the leadership of the Conservative Party, potentially, if you're on the right to be on the winning side and he just he just yeah and 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 he didn't have a grand vision for a boris johnson leadership of the conservative party uh but but you know theresa may in her 
her her infinite charity and goodwill <laughs> gave him a position in her cabinet uh, literally one of the most kind of prestigious positions foreign secretary he's the country's number one diplomat touring the world representing britain and embarrassing britain well yeah he's 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 basically just like the kind of worst sort of like colonial type british figure of of a person and i think i think what kind of worries me about him is that he's he's a he's a throwback he's kind of been able to survive in like sort of like a almost almost like a cockroach kind of way really just surviving <laughs> through you know when he was a journalist like at the telegraph and the spectator and you know he's lied so much and made stories up and things like that yeah but yeah the thing about him is that Boris Johnson is just the ultimate figure of, I think, a certain type of classist kind of privilege that people in the UK hold very dear. And he is also enabled by the media so much. Like, you know, mm. after, like when he called Corbyn, was it, uh, was it a mugwump or something like that? <laughs> Fucking and, hell, instead, yeah. and instead of kind of just engaging with the issues, it was like, What's a mugwump? Here's our, you know, BBC explainer. <laughs> God, did you did you see Tom Watson's response to that? Where he he got on stage and called Boris like a fucking uh, like a, <laughs> a, a a filibustering cauliflower prick. I don't know. He I don't know. He called him something really stupid, like trying to beat him at his own game. But um, but you know, I don't think Tom Watson has quite the extensive private education <laughs> that Johnson has, so he's not. You know, he he doesn't quite know who's a mugwump and who's like a crumpet toaster and a and a, and a bottom spreader or what, <laughs> whatever whatever kind of uh, pejorative phrases they use in those circles. Um, yeah yeah, you're right but that's a prime example of boris johnson saying something that is not one of the most appalling things he said but is basically indefensible like you can't come out and say yeah no that was a valuable political contribution um but many tories did (laughs) that's kind of a rabbit hole you don't want to go down of what tories are like um and also i guess what's become more obvious is that you know the the stakes are kind of increasing like you know supporting leave and then not knowing what to do with brexit and sort of putting his foot in it with nazanine so you know he's actually endangering people not just embarrassing everyone by you know reciting kipling and basically being prince philip for like another generation yeah you can see him as being one of those figures where like the right-wing press are going to be doing like their lists like they like to do for prince philip like the top 10 gaffes like oh isn't it hilarious that he asked a, a tribe like do they still chuck spears about and stuff just that sort of kind oh. of li- making light exactly making light of stuff like that like i can see in the future the media sort of being treating him in a very similar way like oh what is he like boris another gaff being incredibly insensitive and just yeah I and mean, he he's a really really rancid racist with a record really? of statements about uh wide-eyed grinning pickaninnies with watermelon smiles and just absolutely abhorrent stuff and it's not just the racism it's literally stuff that fucking enoch powers coming out with. yeah he he has a really kind of potent distaste for the british working class as well as evidenced by the editorial written by 
by the, in fact, Tom, a famous Enoch Powell fanboy, Simon Heffer, back when he was editor of The Spectator, which um, essentially blamed the Hillsborough disaster on the victims. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's a really uh, reprehensible person, but he seems to just kind of glide over this uh, sea of controversy that flows from his flaccid posho dick. <laughs> this actually reminds me. Um, so I work with somebody who used to be at The Telegraph, and I think... I think Boris might have been also Brussels correspondent and um, my my colleague uh, slash friend um, used to always also be the Telegraph's Brussels correspondent. But, you know, a while after Boris and basically kind of said, and I hope I'm not spreading gossip here or, you know, um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it's not classified info, but basically kind of saying that when kind of Boris came to that sort of position when he was still at the Telegraph, he was writing a lot of stories that were really sensationalist, getting people excited and kind of getting people to read it. But it was never it was always very light on facts. It was always that very kind of, you know, the EU doesn't want us to have bendy bananas and <laughs> just like just kind of as ever coasting on his um, talent for sensationalism, but in a way that every other Brussels correspondent at that time was, you know, told to kind of write in his image just because he was making such a success of writing total bullshit. That's especially grim to think about Boris Johnson kind of setting a precedent, like establishing a model for what uh, your modern Telegraph journalist is. I feel like today they're kind of, they're, they're at that level. Yeah, did, did they back Brexit? I, I think they did, didn't they? They Probably. were one, one of the big broadsheets to back, back Brexit. Yeah, so that shows that his kind of bendy banana mentality is, is stayed in, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the editorial team of the Telegraph. But back to the, um, oh God, it's ter- what was, what's her name again? The woman who's being detained in Iran currently. That's name, uh, Ratcliffe. So do, do you know what, what the charges ostensibly and, and what's going on there currently? And what could she possibly be sentenced to? I mean, I I haven't taken uh, you know particularly academic interest in this, but as far as I can tell, she works for the Thomson Reuters Foundation, which is like the charity arm of Reuters. So kind, of, it's possibly unclear to know exactly what she was doing, but the Iranian government has said that she was spying, and it was basically espionage. Yeah. And with Boris's comments, um, they're kind of using that as prima facie kind of evidence that she was a spy. Her, she and her family claim that she was on holiday and mm. not, you know, anything for work at all. So, I mean, to me, I feel like the truth is probably somewhere in the middle of those things. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she went to Iran and was maybe doing something to do with her day job at, you know, what is a charity. But it just seems like she's been in jail for quite sort of trumped up charges. And I mean, to me, it just kind of seems really strange that somebody would be in Iran with their like infant daughter and they would also be you know spying on the side it's it's yeah. not particularly logical she was yeah as you say ostensibly there on holiday and it was Boris Johnson who told the national media um, and of course the international media because Iran quickly got hold of it that she was training journalists sorry he told the foreign affairs select committee that and uh, her husband came out yesterday, didn't he, and said that they've actually detected lumps on her breasts. So... Yeah, she's having a breakdown. And... 
Of course. So it's possible that she is not in a good place to get the correct treatment for both the mental and physical problems that she is possibly enduring. It's obvious that whatever the rights or wrongs of the case, whether she is a spook or whatever, Boris Johnson has made her life a lot more difficult and increased the chances of the Iranian judiciary coming down very hard on her. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think what I found shocking the most was that Michael Gove's kind of also sort of shit in it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like but... the Brexit duo. Just the, just the idea that he kind of went on BBC News and you know, knew that this was something that's probably going to be questioned about and just wasn't even like briefed for a second. Yeah. I mean, who's going to brief him, to be fair? There doesn't seem to be, <laughs> seem to be much discipline uh, coming from the top of the Conservative government at the moment. Uh, it's a bit... Correct me if I'm wrong. Are they the two that are currently being pitched by the right-wing media to like possibly pose a challenge to like, May as the leadership of the party and stuff at the moment? Or is that another thing? I mean, yeah. I, I think they're probably always being, well, always in the mix until one kind of knifes the other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only guys who can stop these two's leadership ambitions is each other. They're basically just like two vipers, as far as I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's naturally, as with anything, any new story in Britain that in any way concerns foreign people uh, this has whipped up some pretty nasty rhetoric so the uh blairite dipshit mp chris bryant wrote a tweet about how the iranians are dastardly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's just like, just, just as like naked racism and or xenophobia, but because it's it's Iran who are one of the bad countries, it's it's you know it's a neutral statement. It's not not being xenophobic or anything. Yeah, to me that just rings terribly to my ears. Of yeah, of, of all of all the ways I think to describe like a whole nation of people, you're kind of describing them as kind of like a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or well, it, it just makes me think of Dick Dastardly from the Wacky Races cartoons, like the yeah. the, the bad guy with his dog Muttley, who speaks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. That, that, is, that is everyone's idea of Iran and also Russia. Russia. Iran just getting in a fast car and fucking over the other people in the race <laughs> with, their, with, with its trusty dog by its side. Yeah, that sounds like the entire nation of Iran to me. So Chris Bryant, who uh, is obviously being an idiot, and he's one of the, the <laughs> he's he's one of the biggest MPs for Russia conspiracy theories. Uh, not quite as big as Ben Bradshaw or Angela Eagle, but up there nonetheless. And uh, he's also one of the biggest MPs for Corbyn voted Leave conspiracy theories. What was it that he pitched to Corbyn? Was it was he? Well, didn't he like <laughs> storm into Corbyn? Didn't he didn't he storm into Corbyn's office and like demand like he give an answer to a hypothetical situation like what? would you do if russia launched a nuclear weapon like he demanded <laughs> he demanded that he demanded that corbyn was like right i want you to answer this hypothetical question what would you do if russia attacked yeah <laughs> he's just ridiculous corbyn was like do you want to join the shadow cabinet as shadow foreign secretary which is 
dumb as fuck, but I mean, it's not not that much better than the guy they eventually picked, who was, of course, Hillary Benn. <laughs> we all know how that worked God. out. I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane! But, um, but yeah, appa- apparently Chris Bryant was like, but are you prepared to invade Russia, Jeremy? <laughs> it's like, yeah, because invading Russia always works out so well for, like, I mean, the Nazis, they fucking excelled when it came to the invading Russia front. Uh, didn't, didn't it all fucking freeze to death until, like, their noses were falling off? But there's another dimension to the whole Iran thing, which is that Corbyn wrote an op-ed for The Guardian, which has the awesome fucking byline picture that the guardian has of corbin where he's just like he's like got his head turned to the side and he's just like (laughs) staring at you with this like fucking look of like intent in his eyes just like you know crossed out i'm pretty sure is it yeah i I think he's also got a really nice one on his wikipedia page oh yeah yeah hang on let me look let me look that up but yeah he he looks like he means fucking business on his uh, his guardian picture he basically wrote this article uh, slagging off Boris Johnson and just saying, you know, he's a bad guy. <laughs> he's not fit to do the job. Uh, oh, shit, yeah, Corbyn looks so happy in this picture on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> that was probably just after the election, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah June 2017. Good, his step, you know. Yeah, he looks very, like, rosy-cheeked and, and young <laughs> beyond his years. But <laughs> Just thinking about all those centrist commentators who just, just got it all wrong. Just, <laughs> just inside, just, just <laughs> eating it. Just like, oh. um, have, you guys, have you guys ever read the Mumsnet forums? With like the, the threads of the ones who were like the like the mothers who admit they've got like secret crushes on Corbin. No, I, <laughs> I think I think they're sort of secretly horny for Corbin, and he, I I remember this so vividly because I think somebody <laughs> described him as like a world weary weary sea dog or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine oh, Corbin oh. as like a kind of equivalent, like a, like a, a teetotal equivalent of Captain Haddock. I've got to find this thread. On the topic of Mumsnet, my, my favourite uh, Mumsnet political moment was, uh, you know how they do these Mumsnet Q&As with senior yeah. politicians? And they asked Andy Burnham what his favourite... <laughs> Um, what is what his favourite biscuit is, which apparently they ask everyone, and Andy Burnham was just like, uh, "I'd rather have a pint and some chips." <laughs> <laughs> With it is just kind of like I'm the fucking like I'm your uh, northern dad who loves the stone roses <laughs> and wears a fisherman's hat and stuff, kind of. So this other dimension of the whole fucking shitstorm that has um, blown up was that basically, uh, so Corbyn wrote this article for The Guardian criticising Boris Johnson and saying he's not fit to serve. Nice. Which, I mean, frankly, if you're even like a tiny bit left of centre, you shouldn't really have much of a problem with like even mm. all the the phony liberal tories like soobs and heidi allen and all that were criticizing him over his awful comments about libya will be a great tourist location once they sweep up the bodies which is like fuck me um just pure neo-colonialism <laughs> but um 
No, let me. I'll save this thing, then I'll add Sarah, just to just to maintain my flow. But um, I was worried then. I thought, I was like, what's happened to Jack? Is he? He's dead. He's he's oh, had God. too much <laughs> podcast stress. But yeah, basically, so nobody should really object to this this thing that Corbin said. But as soon as Corbin put that article out, I was like, I can't wait till all the centrist shitheads basically start reeling off a list of like anti-imperialist stances that Corbyn's taken over the years that supposedly invalidate his criticisms of Boris Johnson and sure enough all these people (laughs) who are not at all Tories like no 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 definitely not Tories or anything started attacking Corbyn for going on press TV as if this makes Boris Johnson any less of a fucking shithead Whereas I actually saw someone phrase it today, but because in the past he hasn't just taken a nuke Iran, nuke Iran kind of uh, stance. That old, uh, that old Beach Boys song, Bomb Iran. <laughs> bom, 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 bom. <laughs> anyway. Uh... <laughs> He's actually better equipped than anyone to, to actually diplomatically reach out to the people who were imprisoning uh, this woman. I mean, yeah, it's just kind of perverse how um, you can distract from any good point that Corbyn's making by just saying, well, you know, Corbyn's a friend of the IRA and he, you know, hates Israel and just kind of deflecting from the issue in a way that's really unfortunate. Yeah, Um, exactly. Let's call Sarah. Here we go. What is is that? Danny Dyer and Sarah's picture. It is. It is Danny Dyer. <laughs> Wait, really? Oh yeah, shit! We were just commenting on the Danny Dyer the profile picture. Yeah. Crew, as as yeah. well, sort of big fans of Danny Dyer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how can you not be a fan? I, I'm especially a fan of his uh, his Zoo magazine column. I think he oh. he has <laughs> some great like. I read that great uh, relationship advice in there um about yeah cutting up your fucking bird's face if she oh, doesn't want to be yeah, with you yeah. oh god it's an appalling column like honestly I mean, it we doesn't sound that way it sounds amazing like anything else that danny dyer does with his time yeah He's i mean <laughs> obviously he didn't actually write it but <laughs> you know <laughs> he just didn't just... dictate it just yeah. would have thought that he would have just like asked whoever ghost wrote it for him to just like read it over first, or maybe he did read it over but just didn't realise there'd be that much of a backlash to it. Like, it's I, I reckon what what had happened was some fucking cunt student filmmaker had invited him to do five minutes of their shitty fucking <laughs> film, and he didn't have time to read the fucking article, mate. We need to <laughs> we need to talk about run for your wife one day. That's oh god, uh, yeah. <laughs> his attempt to be the the lovable rogue. He does that pretty well in EastEnders. Oh, <laughs> so I've heard. He's got his career back on track, you know. So didn't he say like he would never like the day he ends up on EastEnders? The day is the day his like, and then he eventually like never like you know if he gets his career back on track and you know if he can get into something like I would love to make a film with Danny Dyer like I'd love to give him yeah. some material that he could really yeah <laughs> let's do this real real, get... real politic film when it happens because get the Russian happen. funding in yeah it is get the <laughs> Russian funding in you know like speak to Putin <laughs> like, we got we want to have Danny Dyer in the lead role and he's gonna it's gonna be a film about the Russian Revolution and Danny Dyer <laughs> I mean you could probably slot him in as like Danny Dyer as Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> yeah. oh, He's imagine got a similar that. beard. 
Just, just, just less white. Like, I, I reckon, like, the real politic crew actually should try and reach out to some sort of Russian intelligence operative just for the fuck of it to see if we could get some money off them. Because Don't I give I, the mail anymore. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got a no compunction. Like, Abby Wilkes just said recently that she turned down going on RT, even though they offered her money for it. And it's like, invite me on RT, I'll go on RT. I mean, I was actually talking about this to a friend today, because she was, we were talking about jobs, and she said that a friend of hers works for RT. Yeah. And it's basically just like, they, they pay really good money. <laughs> but... I mean, a bit. I think I think we agree that it's probably just all fake news. <laughs> I mean, some, some of it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they have got some respectable commentators on there, like Andrew Spooner. But yet, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yet. Has he been, has he said anything about us recently? Because I can't see his account because he's just he's got like, his own little thought going on where he's just like he's just speaking about his echo chamber and just like oh, I'm gonna get them in court. <laughs> <laughs> I I I did actually chuck him a follow request on the Dan Jarvis for Justice account, but he. <laughs> presumably saw the avi of like dan jarvis's face stuck on the justice for marine a poster but in like microsoft fucking powerpoint <laughs> and was like uh okay this seems like uh possibly possibly a real politic front <laughs> I, I think the joke is probably too advanced for him yeah <laughs> he'd be like oh mate it's a fascist the far left and the far right coming for me it's like andrew the far right don't give a fuck about you no one does <laughs> just like on his <laughs> shitty little wordpress blog like talking about being in fucking youth hostels in the 90s and off his face on smack and shit but how he, he was too bold and assertive to to get sexually abused no 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 he oh, was mu- much yeah. too good for that um that what, part what... just took cake in that whole that was that was the best part that was my favorite part of that last episode where you're just kind of going through that entire post and just uh <laughs> Yeah. Before you carry on, folks, I'm going to shoot off now. I have to, I have to, I have stuff to take care of. But got to sleep, haven't you, Tom? I've got to sleep. Yes. (laughs) You want you want Tom time? (laughs) I love I love my sleep. Um, Right, but uh, good luck. Jack will lead the way, and I look forward to listening to the rest of the recording when it gets edited and put on our SoundCloud page. So yeah, good luck, folks. Thank you for your time, Tom. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Okay, so, comrades, you may have noticed there is another voice on the line, and uh, we have drafted in a comrade to take Tom's place. So, let me introduce to you our friend, Sarah Cundy. Oi, oi, oi! Sarah has been written about in uh, similarly glowing terms in uh, many of the the same publications as RealPolitik. The wonderful publications that are the Daily Mail and Breitbart. (laughs) (laughs) We, We didn't actually get in Breitbart in the end, I don't think. Oh, you're missing out. You're missing out. It was amazing. For some reason, Guido didn't go for us either. But um, let's see if we can change that. So (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't know if either of you saw Emma Dent Code's comments earlier today. No, I didn't. All right. So Emma Dent Code, the MP for Kensington, is in a bit of trouble because she made some comments that have been construed as racist by the uh, 
bastion of uh, anti-racist activism that is the Guido Fawkes website. Oh yeah, uh, he's, he's a champion for race and uh, anti-racism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So hang on, I'll, I'll just like find her remarks. But basically it was a blog post that she posted in I think 2010 and uh, Guido have dredged up this blog post on the same day that The Guardian published an article saying Grenfell Tower MP highlights huge division, social divisions in London. So obviously uh, Grenfell Tower is in Emma Dent Code's constituency and the fire happened there uh, days after she became an MP. She is basically behind a damning report on inequality in Kensington and Chelsea, which has highlighted the close proximity of extreme wealth and poverty in the area around Grenfell Tower, revealing that in some parts of the borough, average incomes can drop ten times as you cross a street. So this has come five months after this, and Emma Dent Code has compiled this report about the uh, staggering levels of inequality in her constituency and and put this out today. And what do you know? Guido Fawkes published an article concurrently highlighting some somewhat questionable comments she made about a former advisor to David Cameron called Sean Bailey, who I think is a former conservative candidate so according to the daily telegraph because i'm not giving guido forks any traffic um no no miss dent code quoted former neighbors as describing mr bailey as a freeloading scumbag and the most hated man in north kensington uh she also suggested mr bailey had been used by the conservatives and that his public school buddies will drop him like a hot potato if he failed to get elected. Um, incidentally, after he failed to get elected, David Cameron uh, did drop him like a hot potato. But <laughs> So, I mean, she, her prediction there was uh, quite right. But basically, she described this guy as a token ghetto boy, in inverted commas. Sean Bailey has referred to this as a hate-filled and racist article, but some prominent BAME people in Labour, such as Clive Lewis and David Lammy, have praised her. So, I mean, I appreciate I may have not given you guys the full context, but do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I mean, for me, I think, I guess you can kind of see this in a number of dimensions or levels, which is that, obviously, Guido is not talking about this in any you know he's not really using the public interest in a positive way he's dug up what he can find in a way that's quite convenient timing wise to coincide with her report and the work she's doing currently as the mp and i I mean for, for me i just feel like you can you can sort of note that and see sort of the how right-wing media works at the same time as finding those comments that she made really quite disturbing calling a black man the uh was it the token ghetto boy you know and it's it's just uh, yeah i think i think her work her work as an mp and all the work she's doing to raise awareness about grenfell and hopefully try to change some things in her constituency can kind of exist with her having said some quite racist things and i you know there's no statute of limitations for that kind of stuff so i mean in my mind those things can coexist quite uh, easily 
Yeah, I, I think I think it's fair to say that they were not well chosen words, but you can question Guido Fawkes' motivations for putting <laughs> them out at this particular point in time. I mean, if they cared about inequality and what is the most unequal borough in the country, they could have maybe waited till the press discussed that report until they put it out but i mean that, that's assuming an incredible amount of benevolence of uh, of guido forks so yeah I, I i think i think you're fair um you're fair to say yeah maybe she uh chose these words very badly well yeah i think i think uh, you know uh, an act or sort of her words that you know are inevitably or you can't kind of not call them racist it's what they yeah. are so i mean yeah her racist comments don't necessarily mean that she's going to be a bad advocate for her constituency if anything right now she is sort of trying to work and advocate on behalf of people who have been murdered and burnt out of their houses literally through basically racist housing policy and just you know deep inequality yeah so but yeah, I mean, I hasten to say that I'm not defending her at all and what she's said. And I'm, you know, I think I think any scrutiny should should be put on her for saying what she said. But yeah, as, as we've kind of established, um, the motivations of dragging this up now are, are quite sort of blatant from, from the right wing media. It's almost adding to the problem, you know, in, you know, in, in this kind of sort of tug of war between Guido and... Emma and this and that like you know the people who are really not being focused on people you know who really need somebody to help them or work for them or advocate for them and you know some of the poorest people right now in uh, in the borough so do you think yeah sorry Sarah do you have some thoughts on that no I mean I'm just having a look on Aaron Bastardi's Twitter because I remember him mentioning it earlier and from what I've been reading the original blog post was a response to him calling the area he grew up a ghetto Right. So, in fact, her response was sort of saying, like, no, you come from a very posh background, spending all your time with your private school friends or whatever. So him and other same people I've seen talking on this, talking about this on Twitter earlier, actually don't think it's necessarily racist. Yeah. But then there was a response to racism. I fucking hate Guido Fawkes and what a shit on them. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's absolutely got form for being an out-and-out racist and, like, you know. Yeah. But didn't he Photoshop himself in a photo with Diane Abbott in, like, a yeah. baking terrible joke like he's he's just he's scum basically it's not just that he i think printed off a cardboard cutout of her to stick in bed beside him in a selfie oh yeah, yeah he's gross yeah he's a skin crawling creep but i gotta say i'm not really any more fond of alex wickham who seems to be the kind of respectable face of guido he writes long reads for gq and uh Ugh. And, and, you know, he writes for Telegraph rather than The Sun like Harry Cole. And he's he's kind of like the kind of face of Guido that can show itself in the lobby and politicians will talk to and he'll get insider scoops. And I don't really get what makes him so different to the kind of like dyed in the wool contra supporting fucking fascists who make up the majority of the guido forks well yeah if you can kind of hold your nose to work well not even hold your nose i feel like yeah if you work for for them yeah you're basically signing on to that kind of really disgusting kind of muckraking kind of far right bullshit that 
is meant to pass for journalism. And I think what it comes clear to me, a lot of these journalists are politically close to each other. You know, the the shades of difference to to me, you know, they don't seem to, there's not much difference between them. Like, wasn't it, isn't it Jim Watterson who used to, who was an intern at Guido? Oh, yeah, he was. And he's spoken at the kind of like, uh, the like Margaret Thatcher Memorial fucking Circle Jerk Festival or something. Like, to Jim Watterson's credit, he often comes off as one of the more pseudo impartial journalists like i mean i i don't really think any journalist is bereft of politics but i mean he he manages to kind of contain his own opinions better than say kevin Schofield, who is just you know he froths at the mouth with fury whenever a left-wing mp says please vote for the left-wing candidates for the nec he's like oh uh so much for unity oh, eh? Can I actually tell a small story that you just reminded me of when you were talking about the Thatcher Memorial? Yeah, sure. Um, it, this, 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 you know, you can cut it out if you want, but it's so funny to me. And, and, the, same, and the, source, the same source of it is my colleague slash uh, friend. And, you know, thank you so much for being a source of gossip, uh, Matthew. <laughs> when Margaret Thatcher died, she died at the Ritz, which is owned by the Barclay Brothers, who are... I mean, I'll say, I'll just say allegedly as a sort of a, you know, in my, <laughs> in my opinion as a sort of blanket coverage. So when she died at their hotel, they kind of supposedly, apparently, somebody said, I heard, that they called up sort of the Telegraph offices and said that in all the articles you're writing about, you know, that to dying and her eulogies and stuff, you, you, you have to mention that she died in our hotel. Oh, my God. <laughs> and and there, there is actually an article that you can find. So, you know, this is corroborated by facts on the Telegraph website where it's like, Margaret Thatcher's last days, she, you know, she had so much loving attention from employees at the Ritz. And she was so great, grateful to them for their care. I, I feel sorry for the Ritz staff who had to um, clean up all the shit and brains after she shat herself <laughs> to death and her brains exploded. I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> it just, I, think, I think it just kind of underlines to me the fact that as much as journalists, especially I think in the UK, try to kind of demarcate lines and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm left wing, I'm right, and sort of try to maintain that idea that they're impartial, yeah. as that Washington Post mm. guy said. At, at the Labour conference, um, quite unconvincingly. See, I think I feel like the, just the idea of journalists being impartial or journalists kind of being not cunts, basically, is something that <laughs> I that I'm I'm becoming more confident that no matter what stripe you are politically, j- journalists in the UK just fall in quite tribal kind of lines. Yeah. So yeah, and I, I just I just feel like it's it's just yeah, you know Jim Watterson at Guido slash you know what he's doing now at BuzzFeed or you know Alex Wickham or whatever. I just feel like it's it's all the same shit basically. I feel like you know these guys like Wickham they pretty much make a living by trawling through people's social media from like a decade ago yeah. to find mm, some yeah. dirt on them. And I really do wonder what you'd find if you if you uh, went on a thorough search of Alex Wickham or Harry Cole's social media history because I can't conceive of why somebody would be working for Guido Fawkes unless they were a massive virulent dyed in the wool fucking racist with a fucking alt called 
Cuckslayer1488. Like, why why would you associate yourself with that site if you didn't hold those views? Have they ever read the comment section? And for me, just the kind of the stink of hypocrisy grows worse and worse now that people have actually sent me things that Alex Wickham has written online in the past. So in 2013, he tweeted, Is the Guardian tranny protest today? Asking oh. for an a uh, friend. Presumably that was because he wanted to go along to a protest and get some material to smear trans people with. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah it, it said in, is you know, he's asked his question in the most graceful, sensitive, possible <laughs> language that you will ex- have to expect from somebody in his job. I think for me, it's, this is something that I've thought about a lot as a journalist and kind of, you know, you know the, all the things I had to do to get here is... Mm. If you're an intern at Guido, if you take a paycheck from him or, you know, write stuff for him, the media world, especially in London, I would say, is wide enough that you kind of don't have to make those kinds of deals with the devil. No. To get ahead. I, I mean, I just, I just, I feel, I feel the same. Cause I, I was, I was always tempted and I was, you know, probably would have done it at some point working for those kinds of, not for Guido, obviously, but yeah. like, you know, right wing papers you know, you see a lot of people get into the Daily Mail just because it's a job. Oh, yeah. A lot of Guardian columnists now used to write for the Daily Mail or the Mail on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the, that kind of idea that, oh, you know, a job's a job. But I kind of realised, and I remember being told this by friends at the time and coming to the realisation myself, which is that, yeah, the, the, the kind of the political opinions or the side of where you're working actually does matter and it reflects on you and your integrity Mm. and you know we're talking about alex wickham or jim watterson or everyone you know etc not you know none of them were particularly you know they didn't have to take that certain path that they did no of course not they but they obviously really want to i mean i mean wickham he obviously writes for guido to this day because it's opened doors for him. And it's worth saying that this guy has written a lot of articles for Breitbart, which is well known as, like, the voice of the alt-right. I think that's even what what Steve Bannon described it as. Mm. (laughs) And Wickham has written a massive amount of pieces for them. I I don't think, as we've just said, it's not okay to use Guido as a step up the ladder to professional success, and I don't think it should be to use a fucking outright fascist site like Breitbart either. No. And and when when you look at... Yeah, Sarah's close friends, Breitbart. (laughs) (laughs) And when you look at the stuff he's actually written for Breitbart... Take things like this that he wrote in the aftermath of Emily Thornberry getting sacked from Ed Miliband's shadow cabinet for posting a picture of uh, some prick's house with a Union Jack on it. She, she... I, know, I think it was, was it the St. George's flag? Yes, sorry, yeah, the St. Yeah. Yeah, George's flag, my bad. The main parties' respective leaderships do not understand UKIP, yet they try to mimic them. They do not understand so many of those living outside the capital, yet they pretend they do, trying in vain to win their votes. In truth, between London and the rest of Britain, there is no intercourse. I speak for yourself, mate. (laughs) (laughs) There is no sympathy. As Thornbury proved, they are deeply ignorant of each other's habits, thoughts and feelings. 
quite literally in the case of the departed Labour MP. I mean, come on, she, she, she like, left the Shadow Cabinet. She didn't resign as an MP. She's not dead. Uh, she is a dweller in a different zone, almost inhabitant of a different planet. Oh, yeah. And to, to me, I think hearing that, it just reminds me of after Trump being elected and sort of, you know, after Brexit as well. There's almost this kind of fetishizing sort of way of talking about people who are, you know, yeah, like sort of fetishizing, you know, the white working class or the disaffected voter and, you know, kind of almost lending a kind of weight to, you know, people who are voting based on xenophobia and racism and just that idea that, um, yeah, just just even Emily Thornberry being sat from the shadow cabinet in that case. Like, it's just, it's really just pandering. Yeah. It's pandering politically for votes, but it's also kind of enabling these voters, you know, this sort of so-called white working class and older voters and so on, to just kind of be their full kind of racist selves and be kind of rewarded for it almost. Yeah, I, I've always had a problem with senior Labour figures like uh, the Welsh leader Carwin Jones, who is, is hopefully on his way out now, basically saying that, oh, you know, working class people aren't going to vote for us because we're not anti-immigration enough and this is terrible and what that's doing is it's telling people it's okay to vote against your own economic interests out of a sense of racism or xenophobia it's legitimizing their concerns <laughs> if, if you will oh yeah absolutely. Yeah. i feel like um, the same thing so, about the poppy as well all that shit about whether you're wearing a poppy and aren't you proud of the army and all this kind of nonsense I, th- I think it's just a sort of what you've said and the whole poppy controversy as well. It's, you know what you just do, what you just read out as well. It's yeah, it, it is just a ca- just a case of enabling just racism and anti-immigration ideas and things like that, which I think are, yeah, just quite convenient for any government, I'd say. Yeah, and, and you know what the fuck stake does Alex fucking Wickham have in the plight of the working class, like at the people outside of London as well, like as if he gives a fuck. Like, I'm sure I'm sure he's racist, but as if he actually cares about these people. But just to finish off this extract that I was reading from one of his Breitbart articles, his <laughs> articles that he wrote for Breitbart, for fuck's sake. Bullshit. Bullshit. He says, this is Britain's new divide. And this is the real, like, howler in this piece. Uh, ugly, ignorant, without obvious conclusion. It is why UKIP is doing so well, and why the old parties will all suffer in six months' time. The blood of the martyrs will water the meadows of Islington. Alex Wickham has defected to ISIS. I feel maybe we should, like, at least mention this kind of anti-trans hate campaign. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let's touch on that then. So, today there have been some quite disturbing headlines on the front pages of The Sun and of the Daily Mail. Again, me and Sarah's best mates. Mm-hmm. Um, very disappointed in them. And The Times have also published an editorial, which is kind of their... Uh, pissing on trans people. I mean, 
why do they think this is okay? <laughs> why why do we think that the um that the British media because let's be real, this isn't just the right wing press. You no. somebody tweeted as a joke, it looks like the Daily Mail have defected to the new statesman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. Why do we think that transphobic prejudice has been allowed to run wild in the most mainstream of media outlets? I guess when I first saw that Sun, the you know, saw the Sun stuff in the Times editorial, the first person it put me in mind of was Helen Lewis. And, well, maybe not just Helen, but just like that extreme turfy kind of mindset that is celebrated by people without question few people have called that out and among them obviously people like owen jones um I, th- I think i think there are probably two strands to it one is just that trans people are so vulnerable and in their position of such a marginalized group i think it's very easy for the media as ever to have a conversation without them as participating and you know have people like sean Fay and people like paris lee's obviously who are becoming more emerging voices but are still kind of fighting for not fighting, but just trying to get that same kind of real estate to write about issues that actually affect them. It must be so draining for them. Like I saw Paris Lee's tweeting earlier, and, and uh, she even said in the tweet that she has a quote unquote like pretty good life or something to that effect, and she still just feels beaten down by the the constant kind of like avalanche of this prejudice. And that's like one of the most prominent trans voices in the country how does just a normal person struggling with transitioning feel reading you know if they go to the shop today and they see those two headlines side by side yeah it's 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 something that i think is gonna is is incredibly damaging and painful to so many people and so i think i think another point is of why it's it's so like it's so possible to talk about these things in such a dehumanizing hateful way I mean, I think partly it feeds into the Daily Mail's kind of whipping up a campaign of fear about absolutely anything. And obviously, you know, leading by the nose and the sun and all of those people, the times will always jump on. Yeah. I think also what is in the the case of the UK is that there is too much space given to second wave old turf feminists. There does seem to be a generational aspect to it, you're right. There's just too much time given to people like Julie Bindle and, um, you know, Jermaine Greer and that sort of really awful old hat essentialist kind of idea of what a woman is and what a woman isn't. That's quite, you know, abusive. But yeah, but, but then again, we look at someone like Helen Lewis or people like Sarah Ditton who are younger generations, but they're kind of reading from the same kind of hymn sheet and saying the same kind of things. I, I think for me, it's essentially a problem of, of feminism. You mm. get that kind of watered down feminism that someone like Helen Lewis believes in. Yeah. She's going to always be threatened by anything that's just not in her tiny privileged worldview and that includes trans people and anybody who's you know people of color and anyone who is marginalized but she's made a pet subject of transphobia um, yeah i think it's a problem with feminism i think it's white feminism in particular and yeah i it's, it's very frustrating to see these people get so much space to air really hateful turfy opinions and really exclusionary you know not even radical feminists it's more just like it's it's just Helen said something about she wanted to have a conversation about the trans community, and I think she said something about competing rights. Yeah, competing yeah, I rights, saw that. Yeah. 
And that... I've seen that from centrist dickheads like that eager elephant guy who just kind of hang off people like Helen Lewis's every word because of, like, factional reasons. You know, if there wasn't this transphobic strain in the centre, you wouldn't get all these pathetic men tagging along with the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it, it is basically a case of anybody but trans people being given a platform. And, yeah, and for her to say that there are competing interests, I think for me, is just really... It's it's a thing for anyone to read that. It's quite disgusting because, you know, trans women are women and any movement that works for our rights includes us all. So it's a very telling kind of indicator of what her mind is like and how she thinks about this. And it's just it's really hateful and it's really disgusting. And there's just, I think, too much time given to, to men and to white feminists like Helen Lewis to talk about this issue that they literally have no stake in. Yeah, I mean, just one thing to add to that as well is that I don't think it's just a problem of white feminism. I think it's also a, it's more a problem of middle class feminism, mm. to be honest. She is worried, or all, all turf, I think, are a little bit worried about the idea of liberating people who are lower than them because they're mm. used to having oh. a status in society, right? And also another, a point on, on why this is so prominent in the media at the moment Obviously, the right are always going to jump on this because they're horrible. And, it's you know, they love to jump on anything that is hating on minorities. But they're being legitimised by the fact that this is a problem on the left as well. Yeah, and I've made the point before, it's not just centrists. It's uh, some reasonably prominent people who are actually on the left, too, who yeah. kind of put aside their political differences with these people to side with them against transgender people. But but as I say, there is this factional dimension to it as well. Like, something I found that re- really pissed me off the other day was uh, when, as usual, everyone started uh, ripping on Owen Jones and calling him a misogynist for expressing some fairly innocuous pro-trans sentiment. You had, like, David Aronovich piling on Owen Jones, like, oh, Owen, like, blah, 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 you're, you're basically suggesting that he is trying to, like, shut down dissenting voices, you know, silencing moderate voices, if you will, but, uh, uh sideline, sidelining, sorry, I can't, can't remember my own show's intro, but, um, <laughs> But but it's kind of like, where the fuck does David Aronovich, some, some ha- haggard old Times hack who claims to be on the left but voted Tory at the last election, like, where does he get off, like, weighing in on this subject in the way he did? It's obvious that for him it's a kind of battle between the regressive left and the sensible centre. I don't know, I think that's really worrying that the kind of uh, the factionalisation of it is just leaving all these people who don't have any skin in the game, they just don't like leftists to take reactionary and transphobic stances they might not take otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 politically convenient as much as anything. It, it is, you know, basically a case of people who are not affected firsthand by issues. They're not part of the trans community. Centrists basically just, you know, as we know, essentially just have a lot of terrible opinions. And this is just one of... <laughs> Really? Oh my god! <laughs> Breaking news. Sorry, to, sorry, to, sorry to just puncture the dreams of so many people. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just yet another shitty, harmful, hateful thing from centrists. And yeah, it's just I think it just speaks to the way that the sort of politics is organised. In that you can kind of almost cross lines on issues that don't actually affect the people who are taking such a stand on them. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense. And and I think you're right to flag up some kind of uh, white feminist connotations to the whole wave of transphobia, because our friend Jude, who's on Twitter at Jude in London 2, since she got banned for getting into a scrap with some uh, Remainer dipshits. Um, <laughs> basically, Jude said that, you know, she, various other women of colour and trans people had called out the, you know, sort of new statesman lot and this kind of uh, liberal transphobic cartel many years ago, in like 2012 or something, and more mainstream voices wouldn't listen to them and didn't heed their warnings, and prominent journalists were still trying to get a commission from Helen Lewis and stuff at that point. And I think it's only now that people are kind of as in a wider group of people, people who aren't directly affected by this kind of clique uh, lording it over British journalism and politics and uh, projecting their prejudices onto everyone. You know, I, I think now people are starting to take notice of that and realising that this is a majorly kind of deleterious thing to our discourse. Yeah, and I think for me, to sort of clarify, I am, you know, a, a cis woman of colour, so a lot of my opinions are irrelevant and garbage. <laughs> but, you know, and it's not necessarily my platform or my place to speak about these things. And also, within kind of communities of colour, you still get trans misogyny and you still have issues there. So it's not like, you know, everyone in, you know, minority communities are squeaky clean about these things. But yeah, no, for me, Jude has been calling out people like Laurie Penny for a very long time, patiently and ceaselessly. And nobody really ta pays much attention to the work that women of colour and especially black femmes do. Um, they just try and get them banned off Twitter. <laughs> Well, yeah, mm. and, you, and you, you have people like Helen Lewis kind of dogpiling on people of colour, especially who call them out. And yeah, in that case of Jude being banned is, you know, just exactly that. It's absolutely a case of women of colour and other minorities have been talking about this stuff for a long, long time. And it's only now kind of being dragged into the light. I guess it's just unfortunate the particular way in which it's being dragged into the light by this shit just getting so kind of intolerable. It's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. The intolerance is getting just completely intolerable. It's, uh, it's like a very distressing development. Oh yeah, like it's just it's just a total lack of self awareness that kind of is almost like a protective bubble around people like Helen Lewis. So in the years that people have been calling her out, she, you know, she's like Teflon, just totally impervious to everyone's efforts to educate her or correct her or kind of make her aware of where she's wrong. And it's not just, obviously, it's not just her, but no. she's a particularly virulent example of a so-called feminist who hates a whole section of the community. The way I've seen it put is that she sort of launders the reputation of far worse bigots than herself. So she will stay fairly moderate with the stuff she writes, but this opens a space for more extreme voices to come into the debate. If you see the responses to an article by her or Dittam or somebody, there'll be a lot of people with names like rad femme vagina owner with like uh, an i support jenny murray avatar or something you know like some really weird shit and then they'll be saying actually really offensive stuff uh not picking their words carefully to be fair you could probably say that you know <laughs> real politic tweet something out and we get people who tweet in a less 
considered man of an us in the which is hard i know in the responses uh, but when it's this kind of prejudice strain of thinking then i do find it quite disturbing yeah and i think that's actually that's actually a really good point where someone like helen lewis who you know you can read between the lines of what she says and you can read what she says and find it quite hateful. It's almost like warming a spot for a moral panic to whip up, whip itself up. And to her, she'll sort of lay claim to being current or, you know, oh, I've been writing about this or I've been thinking about this. But mm. her opinions are not all that divorced from someone like Janice Turner. So, you know, I, th- I think that's a good point. I, th- I think, you know, saying that, that she and the New Statesman in general provide a point where more extreme opinions can flourish elsewhere is is quite true um and i think that's true of centrism in general you know (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean like the the amount of oxygen that they've given uh legitimate concerns (laughs) over the years yeah and it makes you wonder like you know the new statesman helen lewis all these people blah 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 all these turfs couldn't they just spend their time that you know they're being compensated for their you know their livelihood couldn't they all that time that they've been whipping up sort of little panics about trans women and you know bathrooms and clothes and all these sort of fundamental rights that women should have it just kind of shows the really inevitable sort of undeniable bankruptcy of people like her you know like she could have just been doing something else with her time I find I have a a special anger that I hold, not for the women who express these views and might have come by them through some set of circumstances in their life that makes them very wary of the people they perceive to be men or might have been living in certain kind of circles where these ideas are commonplace. And I can understand, even if I really profoundly disagree, how they come to these views. My special anger is for the men. Take Jason Cowley, the editor of The New Statesman. Like, I'm on record as saying I fucking hate him. I think he's a real, like... Blivering like Boris Johnson style, you know, not even as clever as Boris Johnson, kind of like posh moron. But he doesn't give a fuck, obviously. He just lets <laughs> Helen Lewis get on with it. He's never thought about how hard trans people's lives might be because of the stuff his magazine publishes. He won't give it a second thought. He'll just think, oh yeah, Helen, she knows about the feminism and all that, all that nonsense, you know, and just <laughs> let, and and just think, well, this is a liberal paper, isn't? We need some feminism in here and he won't take an active interest in it i think people like that are so complicit in this basically like liberal men who ideologically align with with women who just happen to be transphobic and and that gives them a space to get away with it yeah and i think not to detract from like the topic of conversation but i feel like that kind of complicity is really widespread um and it's obviously not just the media but when we're talking about kind of the state of the uk media there's a wild amount of complicity on, yeah, on, you know, just the other day with that Esquire bullshit that um, Corin wrote, you know, there was just... Oh, God. The, the idea that there was nobody in the office at all who kind of looked at that sideways and thought, maybe don't call yourself a fat bastard, maybe <laughs> this won't read well, you know, someone's not, you know, just that idea of having some kind of sensitivity yeah. or understanding or self-awareness is just it's not there on these issues 
there's someone at the Observer who reads Nick Cohen's article that he writes every week and goes, uh, yeah, 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 this is good, let's put this out. You have to think that there is a kind of editorial chain of command at all these publications that basically approve all the abhorrent shit that they put out. Yeah, 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 and it, re- it really actually pissed me off about the kind of Corin thing because I, there was somebody in The Guardian, I don't remember who, tweeted out, they were saying, oh, you know, if you're if you're reading and clicking on this article, you're as bad as everyone else. And it just it it just really cut me to the quick because it's just this sort of ugly hands off idea that editors are not responsible for the work that they commission and the shit they publish as editors, and that you know every every like every sort of media outlet is totally blindly beholden to the advertising dollar. So they they can't they can't possibly make the right decision. They can't possibly uh, not commission a, a cunt like him. Yeah. They just they they're so death you know they oh, it's just it's just a way of kind of exonerating a whole chain of people who need to be made responsible and never will be. Yeah, exactly. And of course, this is Giles Corrin who has written in the past about a holiday with his infant daughter being the sexiest, most erotic holiday he could conceivably have. Yeah, that this is somebody who uh, has formed for this kind of thing. Actually, he wrote the other day, I think I've got it here, about snowflakes. Oh, fucking hell, really? <laughs> I mean, I don't have to read it out if it's... Uh... No, 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 go on, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want you to give more oxygen to someone like Giles Corrin. So he says, Luckily, I still think these snowflakes of the post-millennial generation are mostly just funny with their safe spaces and their no-platforming and their rinky-dink anti-imperialist hashtags. <laughs> right, Sarah, like flags in the bio and all that. Rinky dink anti imperialism. Oh. <laughs> he says, Notice how the hashtag Roads Must Fall campaign disappeared overnight when, halfway through their second term, the protagonists finally got girlfriends. What? Is is that historically accurate? Did that happen? Did all of them get girlfriends simultaneously? And like, yeah, it's just the idea that it, it yeah, it's it's a pretty trivial point, like considering just how generally appalling and reactionary and plain prickish that uh, Corrin statement is. But like, it's uh, it's erasing all the women and and gay guys who don't want girlfriends <laughs> from the, from the protest movement there. Or just, or just everyone who who's been participating in these campaigns who is still actively fighting for them and you know like the 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 woman who was i forget her name sorry you know plastered on the front page of the newspaper about decolonizing the university syllabus oh you know, there god are people, yeah yeah there, there are people who are actively working in this and fighting these causes but he, you know it doesn't matter to somebody like Giles Corrin because he's got a shitty joke to make. What I think makes me maddest about these things is that someone like him, I think, earns something like a pound a word. God. I mean, if, it, if it's not a pound a word, and I'd be happy to hear if it's not. But yeah. Just that, that general idea. I'm sure he's said before on Twitter that he supports himself and his family by writing columns and features. It yeah. costs zero dollars and zero cents to not commission this person. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, God, imagine if we got paid that for the amount of shit we talk on this show. It'd be ace. We'd be, we'd be rolling Chapo money. <laughs> One more uh, topic I'd like to discuss, but do you have any thoughts? Because you, you haven't spoken that much, Sarah, on uh, on this whole yeah, kettle of fish. Please go. No, I think I'm I'm fully into the trap of just thinking that I'm listening to an episode of Real Party, just like, <laughs> sitting quietly. <laughs> Maybe on the whole, we haven't really talked much about the fact that anyone who goes against these people is just, you know, as everyone knows, turf is a slur. And everyone who goes against everyone who goes against her is automatically just disregarded by the whole of the centre and the right as just being harassers, misogynist, misogynist. often. Yeah, especially yeah. the women. Oh, especially the women. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I just got pissed off when Sarah Ditton was ranting the other day about how we're a blatantly misogynist podcast. And I just said, like, is Laura a misogynist? And her reply was like, basically, yes. Like oh reply, she's so she's a... someone like Sarah Didham is pretending to know about feminism and misogyny and the idea of internalized misogyny when she's cl- so clearly clueless about them. And I feel like if you question her about her feminism, she'll say that kind of rote bullshit of like you know you can't question another woman's feminism, which allows her to be so turfish. But but, but when when it's fucking Laura's feminism or something like if yeah. if your if your feminism involves you know going on real politic and making jokes with a left-wing stance then <laughs> you can question yeah. away that's what pisses me off actually just the, the erasure of every woman who stands with what well, with the trans community i don't want to say stands with the people who stand with the trans community <laughs> i mean I, I think fundamentally it's an erasure of trans people's rights from the start that's like yeah. that's the most egregious part of it yeah but then all just adding to it, it's, um, you know, silencing a lot of allies and it basically makes feminism quite a sort of a lonely, cramped, oh, no, you can't be both at the same time. It just, it's just a very, it's just a very kind of limited, self-interested, only care about the pay gap kind of feminism that I feel like someone like Sarah Didham cares about that's very middle class and that's very... Yeah. You could be very lonely, like, on your own in a cramped room. <laughs> So, so yeah, didn't didn't have to be contradictory, yeah. But no, no, I I, I totally get you. Um, no, it's it's really frustrating. <laughs> yes, I I try not to throw around like turf. Uh, you know, I'm sure at various points I have, but I, you know, I try not to use that just because then you can never get past that in a debate with these people. I mean, not that I want to have a, a debate about their right to deny people's rights to identify the way they feel they are. It just sometimes I get annoyed and I do want to say, all right, but why do you, do you think this? And when, when that happens, I try, I try not to throw around, you know, uh, turf and stuff, but it really doesn't matter to them like if you have pro-trans politics you're never going to get past that 
it doesn't matter what words you use or not you become persona non grata to them so i, I you know i've taken it really to heart all the like misogyny accusations and stuff like it i i can't lie it really upsets me but then i see that they throw the same stuff at like owen jones and and people and it, i'm kind of just like it's not about me really is it it's, <laughs> this is obviously a tactic well yeah it's it's a tactic it's a, it's a, it's it's a it's a tactic of erasure of whomever it's it's quite, it's quite convenient for turfs to make a big issue about turf being a slur because it just totally yeah. it's not engaging with their arguments which are you know always false and never substantiated by logic or evidence just it's a diversionary tactic that works really really well <laughs> i've just found a tweet from Sarah Dissom, which I think sums up her perfectly, which is in, a, in the whole thread that she did the other day. And it says, before someone rocks up to tell me they're a woman and they hate turfs too, and then it's a mean girl's gif, which is um, the bit where the teacher goes, you've all got to stop calling each other sluts and whores. It makes it okay for guys to call you sluts and whores. <laughs> so in that, firstly, she's told, she said that women can't call other people out as turfs. She's also said that if a woman calls someone else a turf, then it's fine for men to call them a turf. And the whole time, that's presuming that turf is like a bad thing, right? Oh, so it's yeah. like, it's like, what if I think it's, as a woman, it's totally fine for people to be called out a turf, because it is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And um, it's also, it's also for me, I thought it becomes quite apparent, is that it's a form of like secondhand victimhood for these people. Yeah. Instead of Didim and Helen Lewis, they'd be like, oh, we're, we're so oppressed because people are calling us slurs and they're calling us turfs. And it's just another way of like centering themselves in, once again, a whole huge topic that is not about them. Did you see Helen Lewis said she was being subjected to an attack by like a Russian bot farm? <laughs> <laughs> it's the only possible reason anyone would criticise her views on transgender rights. Putin, known for his uh, unwavering LGBT <laughs> plus supporting stance. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty grim. And I think uh, Sarah mentioned the Mean Girls gif as well. And I think oh, that's quite God. telling about how they have this like highly Americanized political sensibility. So, you know, you get Helen Lewis writing her articles like, oh, I'm actually more left wing than Jeremy Corbyn because I, uh, <laughs> I, I support the single market and means testing benefits until fucking low of people kill themselves but like at the same time like her and ditton and that they all love hillary clinton mm. who's so right wing i cannot see why anybody on the british center left would even bother defending her because like really like no british person like no british fucking tory should accept anything less than the sanders program like if you're not offering universal health care coverage you shouldn't be acceptable to british people mm. I, I think i mean obviously it's just it's never as cut and dry as that but it's just it's fucking staggering to me oh yeah and i think for me as well like a mean girl's gif in a tweet for me it just kind of shows the intellectual level that these people are, are at yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i would like, i would never use a meme <laughs> i would oh, never no. use a meme in my life it's you know memes have their place and their use but like yeah. for someone like Sarah Didham, she's you know, she's not exactly an intellectual heavyweight, you know. Her work and her things always kind of descend into bullshit basically. 
she published a piece slagging off real politic on my birthday. Thanks, Aww. Sarah. I think it was your birthday. <laughs> I, I, I reckon, I bet, I bet she looked it up. I bet she planned that. But that might just be me. But apparently she sleeps with, uh, I'm pretty sure it was her who said this ages ago, that she sleeps with a copy of Ed Miliband's manifesto by her bed. <laughs> She's like, oh. it's like, okay, sure. It's better than Hillary Clinton's manifesto. But, but yeah, on the Clinton point. Yeah, no, yeah. there's there's just there's just such a broad kind of swathe of feminists who can't possibly look past their own kind of middle class preoccupations to kind of realise how Hillary was also a terrible alternative president. And there's yeah. just this weird head in the sand idea that she, you know, do you know those sort of alt Twitter accounts that try to imagine a Clinton administration? Oh, God. It's it's just Jeez. sort of weird role play when... She'd bomb the Middle East humanely, guys. Like, she'd try and <laughs> minimise civilian casualties, like, uh, according to some shit tweet Obama did. Like, which is which is all very well when you uh, define anyone between the ages of 14 and 90 as not a civilian. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it just, yeah, for me, it's just, it kind of comes down to all of these people. It's it's never a particular engagement with facts. It's, you know, their positions are never logical to be sort of pro-Hillary and anti-trans. And, you know, just to clarify, memes are good, but <laughs> gets past that level, you know, and she's meant to be, you know, a writer and a journalist and, you know, writing books and all this bullshit. But... You know, I just feel like her, her thoughts never get beyond kind of first-year politics student. No. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised that she doesn't support Theresa May just because she's a woman. Like, <laughs> it's basically the same. Didn't Sarah Ditton write an article once about how people hate Thatcher because she's a woman? Oh, <sighs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen how, like, the transphobes, they, like, use these, like, weird phrases? Like, they, they always say men's. Like men with a Z on the end. Have you have you seen that? It's really weird. Like somebody used it when having a go at us the other day. Like, oh, think about the men's feelings. Or, um, or, or I remember very distinctly a while ago when they were all piling on me uh, for a joke Kieran made when he was running our account. They kept going on about quote unquote peeny feels. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't see it at the time. Like, I don't know, It's it, does this stuff sound all kind of like, it sounds kind of like cutesy and like, it's <laughs> just... Yeah, re- I think reading that out loud is something I would probably never have wanted to ever hear. Peeny yeah. feels. <laughs> In life. The men's and their peeny feels. Yeah, 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 I just, yeah, someone like... <laughs> Mate, yeah. write an article about the lexicon of the centre. Which language is that? Modernity with a little tyranny. But I don't need chaos, I have peace and serenity. You won't find hell at me. See psychoanalyst for therapy. Come prosper and live plenty. My existence is heavenly. You were meant to be greater. Allow me to pray to my creator. You are the maker, life giver and taker. Take control, you should feel safe. But I don't even feel threatened. You need weapons and apparently a classroom so you can learn lessons. Don't let them so 
so I was thinking we could just just close out by just mentioning that both Tony Blair and Gordon Brown are like doing the rounds in the media at the moment. Um, so Gordon <laughs> Brown, it's because he's got a new book out and Blair it's just because he's a fucking demon who will never <laughs> leave our side <laughs> no he's not interested though not no he's sad. not and that's why I'm saying <laughs> left Twitter have achieved like some incredible hegemony when Blair is like saying, "Oh no, I'm not, I'm not a centrist dad. No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> no, no, he's not a centrist dad. He's the centrist's dad. So <laughs> he's the father of modern centrism, along with Bill Clinton. I just think it's hilarious. He's he's having to deny this shit and it's true most people wouldn't call him stuff but people wouldn't call him him stuff like a like a centrist dad they call him a like a fucking murderer or a war criminal yeah. or or a, a cunt who deserves to be banged up in the hog like you know this, uh, i really don't think that when people think of centrist dad they think of tony blair i think they think of his dipshit followers who have no reason to still be espousing this clapped out ideology but <laughs> inexplicably do it's to say if you're, you're you want a professional career in politics why are you still a centrist nobody's heard of you just change all your views and join momentum and you'll actually have a fucking career it's baffling to me <laughs> <laughs> so that that's blair he, he's uh doing yeah. around saying that he's not a centrist dad uh, I, it's, dad, I'm not sure if dad or turf is a worse slur, but they're, <laughs> I, I think they're both pretty bad. They're, they're, yeah, they're very bad. Gordon Brown, meanwhile, <laughs> is going around like, Jeremy Corbyn, he's a phenomenon. Like, neoliberalism, it's fucked. No, I was never a neoliberal. What, me? No, I was never there. <laughs> <laughs> you talk funny. Where are you from? So they're both taking these very different tacks. Like, Brown seems to be trying to claw back a bit of credibility by triangulating to the left. Blair, meanwhile, seems to have realised there is no conceivable way he will ever get credibility on the left. And is just, like, digging down. He's just gone like, fuck it. Let's just, you know, let's just trash this reputation even further. At least Andrew Spooner and Eager Elephant will be impressed. Like, I think he just does it for them, really. For, for, the, <laughs> for the real Blair heads. <laughs> all, all my thoughts on Tony Blair are generally, like, unprintable. <laughs> yeah. This is real politic, though. No. <laughs> All I can think of, and this is totally irrelevant, is, and I have to implicate myself in that I did read Alistair Campbell's diaries. Um, oh, wow. My dad's got them on my shelf. I've skimmed them. Yeah, they're, they're, good, they're good for skimming and they're good for, like, occasional gossip. They're extremely long and it's just, like, very self-regarding to publish, like, a hundred volumes of his diaries. Oh, my God. It was, I think, they were in Japan. And then he found, he came in one, like, to the hotel room and he found Tony Blair on the bed wearing, like, an earthquake helmet in his pants, <laughs> pretending to be Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> pretending to be Japanese. Well, yeah, pretending to speak it, basically. So, you know, quite a, a racist <laughs> joke, really. Oh, my God. But, hey, at least the Blairites, they may have been economically right-wing and right-wing on foreign policy, but at least they were socially liberal, apart from when Blair blamed crime on black culture or he did an anti-immigration yeah. speech in front mm -hmm. of the uh, White Cliffs of Dover or anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
the place my mind goes whenever anybody talks about Tony Blair, the war criminal. Tony Blair, the reanimated corpse. When when you said Tony Blair, like, in a hotel room in his pants, I just, like, cut in my head to that Friends episode where, like, Chandler's, like, is he, like, wanking over a shark documentary or something? Like, <laughs> that basically that, I imagine Blair doing that. Yeah, I think I think my my point is if there is a point to that, <laughs> that this, he is somebody who is personally ridiculous as well as politically. Like I just yeah. he should not be making any rounds. Like the only rounds he should be making is like apologies. <laughs> yeah, or, or just like being tried in like first in Iraq, then at the Hague, <laughs> then in a UK court, just all around the world until he's convicted of like everything. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Doing a tour of the world's prisons. Like, we want custody of him for a bit, then you can have him for for ten years after that, and then <laughs> hopefully die. <laughs> so, um, I quite like, uh, to conclude, I quite liked Andrew Adonis's description of Blair from an interview a few years ago, which I'm going to paraphrase, but it's just something like, uh, like a, a right-wing liberal with a strong imperialist bent. Something. Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably affectionate coming from Adonis, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> the higher education fucking scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so I, th- I think that's probably good for tonight. It's getting quite late. I've kept you for quite a while. Thanks so much for, like, bailing us out and coming on for a chat. Hey, no worries. You're welcome. You're both welcome on the show in future if ever such an incident arises again or, you know, maybe even with a bit more notice next time. Wow. (laughs) Thanks to my co-host Tom Foster for joining us for the first half of the show and uh, I hope he is fast asleep and having a whale of a time right now. And uh, from Real Politic, farewell. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) Can Can I do my shout out? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Aisha <laughs> wanted to do a shout-out, so I'm just going to, like, hand over the reins to her now. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's not a shout-out as much as it's a, a mild uh, call-out to somebody who m- might possibly be a friend of the show, uh, okay. Riley, at Raleigh. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 I went on his podcast uh, yeah, yeah, that, yesterday. That was... <laughs> <laughs> big, big shout-out, big, big, you know, big warm hugs. For never texting me back to organise a second date. Thanks very much. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, I, I think he listens to the show. So Good, I, I, yeah. think, I think this is probably the right place uh, to, to yeah, my... uh, call him out on that. I think I like ending things on quite a bitter note, I think. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. I think, I think that's... Uh, RP, uh, RP ready. Like, uh, Sarah, do you have any scores to settle or anything? Oh, I don't. I mean, shout out to my mum. Hey, That's shout right. out to Sarah's mum. All right, I think that has been real politic. See you all nice. later. Bye. Peace. I'm afraid that there was a sort of natural impetus amongst the hard left. Hard left. The hard left. The hard left. The hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left is famously very effective in opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. Today, we've seen the hard left turn right violence into the streets. Yep, 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 get back, yep, yep, get back. Because we know who the hard left is. <laughs>
Well, we know who the hard left are. That is the nature of the hard left. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. without compensation, whatever it happens to be, the hard left, the hard left, the hard, 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 the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate the government and the conservatives. Nationalisation without compensation. Nationalisation without compensation. It's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. <laughs> 